This week's podcast is brought to you by Kensington Publishing. From Pushcart Prize nominee Danny Johnson, The Last Road Home is a powerful debut novel of race, first love, and coming of age in North Carolina in the 1950s and 60s. When a lonely boy named Junebug on his grandparents' tobacco farm meets Fancy, the daughter of black sharecroppers, a long friendship begins. One that takes on a deeper intensity as the two grew up in the shadow of the South's turbulent history and the Vietnam War. The Last Road Home by Danny Johnson is available now everywhere books are sold. Visit kensingtonbooks.com for more info. A science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they... I felt... And I just thought, well... I figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Aaron Wolf. It was recorded in June 2016 at Oberon in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So it's my first day at my new job on the Kibbutz Dor Dairy. And my boss, this alcoholic British expat named Willie, takes me aside and says, Aaron, man, grab a raincoat, meet me out back. And I look up at the sky. There's not a cloud in the sky. We're in Israel. It's the home of the driest desert on earth. It hasn't rained in months. I say, Willie, you expecting rain? And he gives me a look which can only mean clearly you have never experienced projectile bovine diarrhea before, (laughs) which I hadn't. I'd come to kibbutz to Israel for many reasons, but chief among those was I was in search of this idea of the redemptive power of labor. There was this philosophical idea that the founders of the kibbutz movement had that if you could give yourself unto some work, didn't matter how big or how little or how high or how low the work was, if you could commit to it completely, your soul would be altered indelibly. And it would be greater than a religious redemption because you'd be doing it with your hands and it would be greater than the redemption that a psychotherapist could offer because you'd be doing it with people around you. And as an 18-year-old kid who had spent the first decade and a half of his life feeling like a reject and a screw-up, that sounded great. Also, a friend told me that girls on kibbutz were really into American guys, which was like sort of true. They were into American men, and I was an American boy that looked like a Hasidic girl, so (laughs) they were not interested. So all I had was work. All I had was work. I I worked six days a week, eight hours a day, kept my head down. Literally, that's a way to avoid the the, the poop. You just, like, watch the tail go up, and then you duck, and then it's right over the shoulder. (laughs) Lots of fiber in these cows. And, And I just worked all the time. Didn't have any redemptive labor, but I just worked. And I, one morning I, I get to the, to the dairy, and Willie's waiting for me. He says, Aaron, man, I want you to meet somebody. And he leads me into the, the milking parlor, and, and there waiting for me is this tall, skinny guy. He's got this um, tiny cup of espresso, and he's smoking a 100. He's got a, a pencil-thin mustache. He looks like John Waters, but creepier, right? <laughs> and he takes a long drag. He goes, I'm doo-doo. <sighs> I am the inseminator. <laughs> Obviously, you're the inseminator, first of all. <laughs> but I'm going to be assisting Dudu, the inseminator, in whatever he needs me to do. 
And my responsibilities are going to be twofold, okay? The first thing is I have to be in charge of the list. And the list is uh, the list of all the cows that are in heat and the corresponding bull semen that they're going to be inseminated with. And this is very important. Uh, dairy farms um, practice, like, essentially selective breeding, right? And so a cow that gives a lot of milk but may have an oversized um, udder is going to be sired with a bull that, whose offspring produces maybe not as much milk but has very desirable udder shape. And we do that, we're trying to achieve some sort of, like, perfect, like, this perfect, like we're, we're making the uber cow, which is ironic because we're in Israel, it's strange, but, like, we're doing it. And the second job that I have is, my job is to hold the tail of the cow up. You hold the tail of the cow up, it cuts off a nerve in the rear of the cow, prevents the cow from kicking, which is very important, because what Dudu is about to do to these cows is horrifying. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen lots of nature programming or tons of internet porn, but strap in, I'm gonna tell you how it goes. Dudu, real name, swear to God, Dudu inserts his right arm into the cow's rectum up to his shoulder. From there, he reaches down inside the cow, pulls the vaginal canal straight, takes a two-foot-long syringe full of bull semen out of a holster that he wears on his right hip. He inserts it into the cow's vagina up to his elbow, depresses the plunger, completing the circle of life <laughs> as God intended it. The first time I saw it, uh, I almost passed out. The tenth time I saw it, it was like I was on peyote. Like the walls of perception, the reality was melting around me. All I could see was John Waters fisting cows over and over and over again. I get to the end of the day, we've done about two dozen cows. We're the second to last cow. I read off the number, I hold up the, the tail, two hands, this is, the tail's major muscle, I'm holding it tight, you know. Hold up the tail, out comes the syringe, in goes the right arm into the rectum, out, uh, in goes the left arm, and that's when I realized I made a mistake. I say, dude, that's the wrong bull semen. <laughs> Which I had not been taught how to say in Hebrew school, by the way. <laughs> But I'm right, Dudu takes the syringe out, and, and I'm right. It's not the right bull semen, or for those keeping track, it's not the shpich hanachon. And, uh, but now, so now he, we're, in a, we're in a pickle, essentially, right? He has no place to put this syringe. He can't give it to me, I can't let go of the tail. If I let go of the tail, we're gonna get kicked in the chest. He can't put it back in the holster that'll cross-contaminate the other syringes. He can't put it on the ground that'll ruin that syringe. This is valuable bull semen that someone has had to do terrible things to harvest. <laughs> and so I watch as he takes this dripping wet syringe covered in cow juice and he puts it the one place that he can, which is right between his lips. <laughs> And then he very quickly takes out the other syringe and it goes, down goes the plunger, he takes, out, takes the thing out of his mouth and he goes, it's totally sterile. <laughs> and then there is a long pause and he goes, don't fucking tell anyone. <laughs> and I go home that night, I take this very long shower, like, like, I, like, wash the existential dread type of shower, you know, like, just never stop water, never stop. And, and I, like, this is essentially what's, this is a huge problem for me because clearly 
Dudu has what it takes to experience redemptive labor. Like, he has committed to this cause fully, right? And I'm not sure I have what it, like, if what it, if what it takes is to perform cunnilingus on a cow by proxy, like, I don't have what it takes. I also don't want to have what it takes at all. For the next few months, I just kind of, like, go through work in this daze. It's in a fog. And then one morning, I'm doing the morning milking, 3 a.m. milking, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting like through halfway through the, the cows, and Willie bursts into the milking parlor, and he says, Aaron, man, we gotta go right now, come with me. And he takes off into the night. And I go running after him, and he's running past all the other cows, he's running to the back of the cows where we keep the pregnant cows. And without a blink, he just leaps over this fence into this pen where there's this one cow, and she's in the middle of giving birth. I can see two little hoofs and a snout um, from her rear. And I have this immediate realization. I've seen the seminal movie City Slickers. I know how this works. Billy Crystal feels like a little sad about his life and then he like helps out a calf and then he feels good. And I like immediately jump in after Willie. And I'm like, Willie, what do you need me to do? And he says, push, man. And I put my shoulder up against the rump of this cow and I start pushing and Willie attaches these ropes to the little hoofs that are sticking out and then the other side of the ropes he attaches to a carjack, essentially, and he starts ratcheting this calf out of, the, out of the mother. And I'm pushing, and he's pulling, and I'm pushing, and he's pulling, and the calf isn't budging. This is a problem that's pretty common, actually, with this selective breeding process. Cows will grow in gestation calves that are too big for them to, to birth. So no matter how hard we try, this thing's not budging. And he's pulling, and I'm pushing, and he's pulling, and I'm pushing, and then he says, we gotta do an episiotomy. Now, my mom's a midwife. So I know that an episiotomy is a surgical wedding of the perineum, and I'm like totally prepared for like the anesthesiologist to come in and like the veterinarian. I'm like, okay, cool, we're, we're cool. And then he takes a Bowie knife out of his boot and he just starts sawing away. And the cow leans over and goes, and then just eats, just continues eating. <laughs> Slightly different than like human females. But then we get back to pushing, he's pulling, I'm pushing, he's pulling and pushing, and then there's this like and the calf slides out. But the calf's not breathing. And Willie says, we have to do CPR. And the only time I've ever done CPR is on a fifth grade babysitting class, and it was on a plastic dummy, and I don't know how to do it, but he says, blow, man. And I grab the face of this calf, and it's covered in that same juice. <laughs> and I press my lips to its nostrils and I start blowing. And Willie's doing chest compressions and I'm blowing and he's compressing and I'm blowing. And then he throws me off of the calf and he leans back and he punches the calf as hard as he can in the chest. And it shudders and it goes <laughs> And then it gets up on little Bambi legs and goes and feeds. And I collapse on this bale of hay and Willie collapses next to me and I'm waiting. <laughs> Like, I'm waiting to feel something, anything good, redemption, anything, like, heavens open up, like, heal me, something, anything. But I don't, I don't, I just feel kind of gross around the mouth area. <laughs> and tired, really, 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 really tired. And then Willie puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, Aaron, man. And then I remember, 
I remember. Billy Crystal doesn't feel good right away. First Curly says that thing to him, and then he feels good. And Willie looks me right in the eye. I say, yes, Willie. And he says, she was queefing like a cunt. And he lights a cigarette, and he walks off into the night. <laughs> that night at the kibbutz disco, which is a barn with techno pumping in it, he comes up to me, blind drunk, and he throws his arm around me, and he says, for a Yankee, you're all right. It's the nicest thing he'll say to me the entire year. It's not exactly redemption, but it's totally close enough. Thanks. That was Aaron Wolf. Aaron is a Moth Grand Slam winning storyteller, writer, filmmaker, and obsessive fan of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. He is the screenwriter of the Academy Awards shortlisted Record Play, and his work has been featured on the Moth Radio Hour, The New York Times, and Slate. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, Aaron Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Skylar Bear, Shane Hanlon, Rosie Waldron, Nissa Greenberg, and Liz Neely. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth, and the theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Oberon for hosting the show, and to Summer for... Wait, where'd summer go? Thanks for listening. 